0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Triefsteaks ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito
1: This is the Black and Gold Batteret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. <laughs> wow, that was perfect.
2: That was the that was the, the news reporting kid. That-,
1: that was that was the sound effect that we need, uh, uh, Kyle to use. That was
2: right? the new, that was the news reporting kid that I sent over to uh, Eagle Creek. Actually, Jeez. he detected me. Uh you <laughs> just texted me. we need to
3: uh, stop and just restart this? No, recording.
1: we're going to pick it up from right here. What's up? Welcome to the Black Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, Bryson, and Drew with you here. Uh, recording on a, a Tuesday morning. Why are you putting it out so early, Jeff? Well, it's because I was putting it out so late earlier. And so we're like, hey, we're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, we're going to get the show out. Try and get the show out earlier in the week. And you know, we all got kids. We all got families. We're busy all the time. So finally, you know, we... All, have all gotten ourselves onto the same page here, and uh, we have. Uh, hey, we, Eric, we are eyeball deep in the sports equinox of the spring, aren't we? Well,
0: well, in reality, there's only one sport that matters, and it starts this Thursday night, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. It's here. Hey, hey, the hey! hey. Of tennis of and golf have something to say about that right now. Who? Well, Bryson can get into that later. UCF softball is here, ladies and gentlemen. That your 18th ranked UCF Knights will open against Georgia as somebody asked me uh this weekend can UCF softball save the UCF spring season we'll find out later on
3: and eric is completely unbiased in his opinion
1: uh yeah as always um so we'll preview UCF softball a little bit later uh we got a couple other details to wrap up also tennis and golf uh golf getting their spring season underway bryson is uh is uh closely following that but we want to start out obviously we haven't done too much basketball since our last show on friday but we're going to start by recapping uh ucf men's basketball earlier this week uh on saturday they dropped to 13 and 9 the the losing streak is down to is now to 5 73-64 loss at Cincinnati in a game where they were down 16, fought back to within one, Eric, was it they were within? One possession, at least. Yeah, at one, least. it was a one-possession game in the final minutes, but they just couldn't get over the hump once again, um, despite a great effort. I thought ta- this was one of Taylor Hendricks' best games yet overall. 21 points, eight rebounds, uh, one block, uh, two assists. 4 of 9 from 3, 7 of 14 from the field. He did it all, especially during the comeback. C.J. Kelly was fantastic, too. 6 of 9 from the field. Uh, 17 points, 3 assists, 4 rebounds, and 2 steals. Darius Johnson had 12. Not a great shooting day for him. 4 of 12. Also, Ithiel Horton struggled from the field at 1 of 6. But um, the key for Cincy was uh, Victor Locken and David DeJulius, 20 and 19 respectively. And uh, the Bearcats get out of Fifth Third Arena, which uh, the only arena in the country named after an improper fraction, and uh, and they and, and they get they send UCF down to their fifth loss. And I was and, and and again, it's just it's the same thing that we've talked about through this entire streak, Eric. It's just not having Michael Durr affects both the offense and the defense. It clogs up the lane on offense and it opens the lane on defense. And Cincinnati took advantage of it. I mean, there, there's just that lack of depth with that injury is just killing UCF right now.
0: Well, they had No Brandon Suggs in the game. He's out. We don't know the status there moving forward. Yeah, well, uh, that's a good
1: point too. Another guy, a key, another key defender yeah. out on the perimeter, right?
0: Yeah, Drew. This season's broken, isn't it, Drew? Like another. I don't mean, I, I, think even when Dirt does get back, this is kind of a big now. You're you're up against it. I mean, you're going to have to hope for a miracle conference tournament run just to have a postseason run. This team gives up over 70 points again against Cincinnati. They've given up over 70 points during this losing streak. Just not a healthy roster. It's a shorthanded roster. There's no depth, no room for error, and uh, I'm sorry to say, I mean, it's just that I don't think you overcome this, Drew.
3: Well, there's also a consistency problem. I I feel hurt one of six for two points. I mean, you you can't win games when he's basically non-existent on the floor. You know, he was, uh, this team struggles with depth, so they they need those starters to to, to put out product, and, and and it's not there. You know, Taylor Hendricks carried this team as much as he could, uh, but that's asking a lot for one man to do. only only go so far. Uh, you know, with we've seen what Horton can do. He can he can light up the scoreboard, and you know even if it's just 10 points, you can't get by with just a two point showing uh, on, on one of the, basically what's right now been your, your third best score in, in, in the recent games with who's left on the floor. Uh, you can't do that. You know, Darius Johnson, I think stepped up big and, and, and covered a lot, but uh, Horton, you, you got to have more out of Horton. And, and I think you're seeing the lack of consistency that has dogged UCF for years. We saw this out of Brandon Mahan, For multiple years but he'll score 30 points and then put up a bagel and get nothing Uh, so you know that lack of consistency has dogged this program for a long time and and we're just seeing it just with a different packaging
1: i went back through the uh through the numbers here and i and i went through like the you know before the michael der injury and after and we still don't know when he's going to be back um it's been we're coming up next week will be what Eric one month I think it was the 12th he had surgery on that broken hand um but prior to the injury and this is where the defensive these offensive offensive and defensive numbers prior to Durr's injury UCF was averaging giving up 60 points per game since the injury they're giving up 83 per game a plus 23 point difference. Now, what goes into that? Well, for one thing, teams are making more shots. They're making 28 field goals a game as opposed to 23 from before. They're getting to the line more often. Eight more free throw attempts for the opponent per game. They're making eight more. Uh, They're, uh, and they're rebounding, even though the Even though the offensive rebounding has given the same teams, are getting five more defensive rebounds per game against UCF. Uh, And the other thing is on on the offensive end for the Knights, uh, offensive rebounds have gone down by two per game. Total rebounds down by two, turnovers up three, uh, and shooting percentage down uh, two percentage points. By the way, opponents are shooting 7.7% better without Michael Durr on the floor non michael there. And listen, you could look at Mike's stats and say, well, he's only averaging four, he was only averaging what? 4.9 points, 4.7 rebounds, but the presence of a seven-footer on the floor matters for what Coach Dawkins wants to do, right? I mean, the,
3: the proof is in the pudding. I, I found a magic number. The magic number is 70. If UCF gives up 70 points, they have one win all year. If they give up less than 70, they have a lot more wins all year. Uh, but they've only won one game. Oh, or 12. Game.
1: 12. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs>
3: they, they've only, you know, if, if you look through the entire year, the entire year, you go all the way back, the only game that they've given up 70 points or more in one was the overtime game against Samford, which they won 80 to 77. Every other game they gave up 70 or more, they lost. Now, granted, one of those was that double overtime. Uh, you know, oh, well, I, I discount the double overtime thriller against uh, Memphis because. It's overtime. It's going to stack up. Uh, I guess you could say two wins at that point. Uh, but uh, if you know regulation, if they give up seventy, they lose. So th- there's your barometer right there.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and now it doesn't get any easier because this week's uh, or this week's schedule has them at Wichita on Wednesday, Eric. ESPN Plus Wednesday night, eight p.m. For one thing, they're not starting the game at Wichita at like nine. And then home for Tulsa. Now, this is the space game on Saturday, 7 p.m., also on ESPN+. Plus. Um, but, you know, as I'm taking a look... Believe it or not, Eric, though, the, the uh, situation involving UCF's uh, net ranking, I feel like it could be worse because two of those losses are quadrant one losses. And one of them is a quadrant two loss as well. So... They've dropped in the net from a peak of 35 after the Memphis double overtime game down to 70 right now. Granted, precipitous fall, but it's not as bad as I thought it would be.
0: Well, they had a good, cause they had a good resume. That's what it is. But it uh, doesn't matter. I mean, now they go. The good news is this will be the last time we ever have to go to Wichita in basketball. So that's good. Uh, Tulsa is terrible. But the good news is we got space jerseys. So this, let's get to the moment that the audience really cares about about the basketball because it's not on the court anymore. It's the jerseys. Drew, thoughts on the on the space jerseys? Uh well. I already uh, know what
3: Drew's gonna say. I mean, as we've talked about it. It reminds me of the nineteen ninety, the mid to late nineties uh, Cleveland Cavaliers with the splash. Yeah, the old John Battle, Bobby Phils. Uh, when they moved to Gundarena 94.
1: Yeah. Terrell Brandon.
3: Terrell And then later Sean Kemp. Uh, what yeah, was left was... of
1: Sean Kemp, I should say.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, he just kept getting bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that they decided to make a word mark very similar to what you have with the Knight script, with the Knot script. you uh, doing something very interesting. So they, the Citronaut logo is a very outdated logo itself. So they're modernizing everything around it except the, the specific logo. And I think that's actually very clever. Uh, you know, People are like, oh, they're going to rebrand. They're going to rebrand. I don't think they're going to rebrand so much. But they've, they've made it that they could switch pretty easily if they wanted to. Uh, but they, they've basically set it up where they can have a completely separate set of marks and logos they can run with something. Uh, I, I think the overall uniform itself's a little bit mailed in, but then again, UCF's going through a minimalistic phase, so you, you, they're not overdoing on on the flash.
1: Let's be fair; the minimalistic phase you're talking about's kind of been forced by the fact that we're still they're still on, at Nike uh, on on the end of the on the supply chain issues here, though.
3: Well, it, it's a it's partially that. It's also um, they're they're on a two year bridge contract with Nike. Uh, you know, reading between the lines. If this supply chain issues weren't a thing, UCF would already be in Adidas school. Uh, you know, listen to Terry Mahajer's comments about it. He basically kind of told you uh, that it just wasn't the right time, and that's the well, time. We don't know.
1: We don't know exactly who it would be, though. To be fair, you
3: know? there's well, really except- no one else in the market at this point. You know, Under Armour has bailed out out of most contracts, and and there's not really a third player in the in, in there. But uh, at this point you're you're in a bridge contract so you're kind of just holding your breath for a couple years uh and things could change uh you know we'll see what happens after next year you know into the summer uh but I'm pretty sure conversations already happened you know as we know when UCF joined with Nike it was in a very bad situation Nike didn't have to give really anything uh, UCF was caught in a, in a very bad situation after the whole Marcus Jordan situation, uh, but let's be real. Uh, UCF lost financially when they switched over. Uh, Adidas was going to give them money, as opposed to just discount on product. So uh, I, you know, we've seen extension after extension of of, of the contract. Uh, this is technically still a continuation of the original Nike deal. We're just seeing a kind of an evolution where right now everything's kind of just. I don't want to say bare bones, but it's it's a very minimalistic design. Uh, but I th- I think part of that is we're kind of holding our breath to the next chapter starts.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I I think that the next, um, you know, I I don't know what the next iteration of it is. I just do know that I like that 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 Noughts script. It's a it's it's sort of a a slightly edgier move on the knights script going with the apostrophe knots there um i'd be interested to see if we see that again during baseball season by the way
3: i'd be perfect for a baseball oh then again, the night script is a baseball mark right yeah it yeah, started that way at least well it's it by design it is i it's designed to be a baseball mark because it's being used elsewhere but that's a baseball mark yeah. let's, let's call it what it is yeah.
1: Back to basketball for a second here, Eric. I want to get. I want to talk to you about. So UCF right now four and six in the conference, uh, thirteen and nine. So
0: depressing
1: overall. Oh. Well, here's well here's the deal. Like you know you're still. Let's just,
0: uh, Drew, help us, Drew. You're still five <laughs> and six.
1: Well, Wichita's five and six in the conference, and I'm not saying. I think we can officially. You're right. I think we can officially kind of you know all but throw out the the possibility of an at large, which sucks, but it yeah. is what it yeah. is. Yeah. But. You know, let's say for the sake of argument that Michael Durr comes back for this little bit of a stretch run, and you and and, and so does Brandon Suggs. By the way, we still don't know what the deal is with him. Um, you're looking at a team that I think, if they get their full complement of guys back, could be a rather dangerous team come the conference
0: tournament, March ninth through the twelfth. No. It's a big if, if, if they come back, I know, I, who knows? I know, I don't he, know.
3: He's, he's making a blanket into something, you know, like all things being equal. You know, if this, ha- you know, if, if they get their full staple of guys back, uh, you know, aside from the fact that you hit the reset button on, again, you know, on the season, because uh, we know what happens with the lack of depth and all that other stuff. There's still a quad one game still on the schedule. That's at Memphis on the 16th. Yeah. We don't know if Michael Durr will be back by then, but that's a big one. If UCF still in the hunt for an NIT spot. You know, an at large, I think is done. True. I think that's out the window. Uh, could they? Could they make a run in the conference tournament? Sure, anyone can. Uh, we've seen it. Uh, but I think more realistically, it's going to be you know hunting for the NIT. But they really need to win at least one of those top 100 net games. You got at Memphis. They're 47th home for Cincinnati on the 19th, they're 74. You need one of those two as well as the rest of the slate. You know, Tulsa is one of the worst teams in Division One. They're ranked 295, and they still got a home-and-home home left with them. But as we know, UCF has There's some weird voodoo magic. UCF at Tulsa never ends well. And if you have that quad four loss on your conscience and your <laughs> record, that's going to hurt come postseason time.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, you're still, golly, you just left so many of them on the table there. And, and 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 wasn't Cincinnati just a microcosm of what's been going on? Yeah, they get punched in the face here early. They make a charge back, but they just run out of gas. And, you know, you're hoping that they get something back in the tank for this last eight-game stretch. You were mentioning, Drew, uh, one quad, one game at Memphis coming up. Not to mention three more quad two games, including this next one at Wichita, also at Temple and home for Cincy. So two more quad twos, or three more quad twos and a quad three against South Florida. Got get, got to get that one back. And of course, the three other quad fours are the two Tulsa games and the ECU game to wrap up the regular season on uh, March the 5th. So... Let's let's go from let's go from here and figure out what they decide to or, or what they what they can do. Um, it's it's just tough when you're when you're shorthanded. Over on the women's side, um, you know they struggled again uh, at home against uh, ECU. Sixty-eight to fifty-four was the final. Uh, Bryson was there for that one. Ashton Verholst uh, came back for UCF. I haven't seen her in a long time. She actually got off to a good start this season. Uh, 2 of 4 in th- 13 minutes. Uh, Destiny Thomas came off the bench, 5 of 12, 14 points to lead UCF. Uh, Layla Jewett was uh, at 10 points on 3 of 7 shooting. But it really was a tough shooting night overall for uh, UCF, 32% uh, on the on the night compared to 46% for ECU. Now I, And now I think is the situation, Bryson, where they are – just trying to hang on to, you know whatever place they get in the standings. Um, you know, right now they're they're second they're second to last in, in this rebuilding year uh, at 10 and 10 and one and seven in the conference. Um, where do you see this team going now with uh, at, at this tough stretch this week at Cincinnati Wednesday, at Memphis on Saturday. Uh, and as I'm looking at the standings here, um, you know, Cincinnati is the one team that's below UCF in the standings. And, you know, Memphis can be had 13 and nine, five and four. But what do they need to get a break here?
2: With, with the position Cincinnati's in in the conference, you have to win this game or else I think it's going to be if you because if you lose against Cincinnati and they have a home at home. So so but. Losing to Cincinnati, I think, would be a major demoral demoralization for the for this team. I mean, Destiny Thomas can only do so much. Did you know that she's had a double double in half of this season's games yeah. so far? Half yeah. of them. I mean, and they're, and they're playing still, well. Now they're at five hundred. I mean, it's I mean, essentially, I talked to Coach Messer afterwards, and while she appreciated the team's fight in the fourth quarter because they actually did outscore ECU in the fourth quarter. This is some this is a team that they need to establish the foundation with and but and right now they and they basically just had to fill a hole that was left by the departures of last year's team. There is some promise here. You know, I'm not going to say that there, it, there there isn't anything bad to look at here. I think that you that you let this team gather itself, I think that it that we could really get something with some more time, but unfortunately with the way that this season is kind of shaken out it's, it's just one of those things where you have to really get used to things. You need to figure out what this team is. And I think they just need the time to do that. And right now they're just trying to kind of see what works and work with what they have.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rough, but you know, we kind of, I feel like we knew this was going to come this way. Right. I mean, they're going to take their lumps for sure. Um, It would be nice to see them just get one thing going right for them just to just to have a little bit of positive momentum going into the home stretch here. I don't know. Maybe we haven't seen it yet. Maybe we'll see it uh, at some point. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time to talk a little softball. Eric Lopez.
0: Oh, thank goodness! Holy. <laughs> positive news, folks, is coming. We hope. I swear. Uh, we're
1: going to pre- preview UCF softball. Who gets their start uh, this week at home against Georgia. Plenty more. Stick around. It's the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast.
4: just go to cars.com It's magical.
1: We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Andrew Glukov, Bryson Turner joining us. And uh, hey, spring sports, that means it's time to hit the diamond. And Eric Lopez, we're going to start with your UCF softball team coming off of, I guess we could say, yes, the best season in school history. Uh, and ter- certainly it is in terms of postseason accomplishments uh may the uh may the regionals uh or the or the re- uh, against uh, the number one team in the country uh oklahoma last year um picked once again to win the american uh this year in their final year last year record 49 and 14 16 and two in the conference 29 and five at home you remember last year they started the season with that thrilling uh extra inning walk-off win 7-6 uh, in 8 innings over the University of Georgia. Of course they won the Orlando regional uh by beating Villanova and Michigan twice, uh won the American against South Florida. Man, what do you do to follow that up, Eric? I mean, uh you know they're picked, like we said, once again to win the American, uh which they had four of the seven first place votes. Uh, Wichita State had the other three, followed by South Florida, Houston, Tulsa, ECU, Memphis to round it out. So you know a relatively small field once again for softball here in the American Elo. But um, you know we've seen how that can work in their favor and also against their favor because you don't have, if you fall in a hole you don't have that many games to
0: make up. Uh, so it comes down to this non-conference schedule and that's tough yet again. Very tough. It'll open up opening night against Georgia, match 365 days in the making. You got Ohio State, which marks the return of UCF's former assistant, Whitney Whitney Jones, Boise State, which is where Coach Ball Malone coached. Then they go to Clearwater for the ESPN tournament. You got Alabama, Michigan, Duke, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. You got Missouri home midweek, Louisiana midweek. So it's a big challenge early in particular. I mean, we're not even talking about them going to UCLA later in the year in Oklahoma State. But the good news is they return pretty much the nucleus of their offense, pretty much everybody, including Jada Cody and Shannon Doherty, which since they've arrived on campus back in 2020, this program has done nothing but winning. I had a chance to recently catch up with Jada Cody and Shannon Doherty to talk about last season and their expectations for this year. All right, here with Shannon Doherty, Jada Cody, the captains. I'm going to ask you both, uh, you came came together from the first day. I'm just curious – Take me through that first time you two met, starting with you, Shannon.
5: Oh man, that was a long time ago. We just talked about. It. I don't have a good memory, Elo. <laughs> um, but I just remember us coming in our freshman year, and we were just two super competitive people that just were going to stop at nothing to win. And um, I don't think that's changed much. And we've just, as the years have gone on, we've me and Jada have gotten closer and closer, and become better friends and better teammates and better leaders. And um, it's just been awesome to be able to grow together and just kind of create these names for ourselves in this
4: program. Um, yeah, we've, from day one, we've always been super competitive, um, and knew that we wanted something bigger than ourselves, um, and it shows, like, we're the only two from our class that's still here, so, um, just knowing that and having the same mindset is definitely important, um, and being captains together.
0: Describe Shannon as a player. (laughs)
4: Um, she's super competitive, um, You always see her going hard every pitch, every play, um, and she doesn't stop. Um, So I think she's just a great player. She's a great teammate as well. Um, Being a great teammate definitely has helped her um, be successful on the field.
0: All right, you described Jada there.
4: I think
5: I could describe Jada in very similar ways, and I I think that's why we we bond and we click so well is because we are very similar players, and our competitiveness takes over sometimes, and and that's a good thing, but it's also – Sometimes not so good um, because we do have to be those leaders and we have to be selfless. Uh, but I would just describe Jada as a competitive beast out there that is just gonna do whatever the team needs to to win a game and to put this program to the next level. And um, you know she's consistent, and consistency in this game is key.
0: Obviously, what ta- describe this team this year?
5: Um, this team is extremely talented, and it. This team has the opportunity to do things that this program has never seen before, and I'm super excited about that. And the thing that excites me the most about this team is that we have a chip on our shoulder, and um, we have momentum. So I think that if we combine those two things and our talent with this amazing culture and foundation that this program has, we're going to do things that are just mind-blowing.
4: Um, I think we have more talent than we've ever had at um, UCF. So just having that um, in the back of our head, knowing that we have a goal of being top eight, is definitely important. Knowing that one through twenty five is going to be key to our success this year. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see what this team has.
0: What's it like having Coach Sally as your hitting coach?
5: Um, it's awesome. Coach Jen is, I mean, probably the most knowledgeable softball coach or person. Like she she just knows so much about the game itself. She's like a human softball encyclopedia. It's, it's kind of insane, actually. But to have someone that's that knowledgeable and to be around them every day and to get to learn from them every day and to get to learn from someone that has the experiences that she has, I mean, she has been a champion on every single level. And that's just amazing to be around. And lastly, she she just empowers us and she loves us so much. So it's just It's such a great feeling to be around a coaching staff that just has so much love and passion and empowerment for us, not only as players, but as people.
4: Um, I can say the same thing, just uh the... joy that Coach um, Jen get, like, gets out of being our head coach is so important. Um, you can see that she loves giving back to what taught her and brought her up, and like just knowing that she was at the top of the level, she was an Olympian, she was one of the top hitters in the Olympics, so just having that and knowing that she has every knowledge you can think about. She has a whole bunch of hitting books, so just knowing that, um, I think our hitting this year has definitely increased like, enormously. So, um, just having that, knowing that we're good, we're in a good place as a hitters, is definitely important for us.
0: Of the new faces, describe for night fans uh, what to expect the the new faces on the team. Yeah.
4: Um, you can see a lot of personalities. Um, they love dancing, screaming. Um, there's a lot of personalities. Um, but I think they're it all clicks together as one. But you're gonna definitely see a lot of personalities with us dancing, singing on the field. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. Wait.
5: There is definitely a lot of personality here, but that's what's so good about this program is we're part of a culture that allows that and allows us to be our best selves. Uh, but I think you're also going to see, like, some crazy talent. Uh, I think these freshmen are going to come in here and surprise some people and make waves, and I can say the same thing about the transfers. And I'm just, you know, I'm excited about that competitive culture because these girls are coming in and trying to take veteran spots, and that's awesome because it just makes us work that much harder every single day. So, uh, I mean, I... I think you're just going to get to see a lot of competitiveness and a lot of people with the chip on their shoulder
0: out there. You both have shown confidence in this pitching staff. Describe, what, where where's that confidence come from? Because people from the outside are like, well, you lost Gianna, you lost Camo. But I know in talking to both of you and talking to the other players, they're, you're all confident in this pitching staff as a whole and in what they offer.
4: Um, they all offer different things, some with change-ups, some with um, a really hard speed and like go up and down side to side. So just having different um, versatility with our pitching staff is going to be important. We have some veterans, we have some young um, pitching um, staff, but it's going to be key to our success this year. We need one through seven of them um, on the mound, and we're going to pitch as a community this year. But I think just having that and knowing that like they're going to be the queen on the field and they're going to protect us and we're going to protect them is going to be important this year.
5: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean I kind of said that better. And I also think it our confidence is a testament to our pitching uh, coaching staff like Coach Bear and Coach or not Coach Bear and Shannon in there. Um, you know, Coach Bear is just a genius when it comes to pitching, and she, I mean I have all the confidence in the world that she is going to make those pitchers their best selves uh, without a doubt. And Shannon just brings that new level of experience that this program just doesn't necessarily have. Um, and she understands what it takes for those pitchers to to be those queens and to be the top dog and to be the confident person out there. And she gets to bring that side of it to things um, in like a in a fresh way. And I've been hanging out in the bullpen a lot lately, and I I mean I'm very confident in what we got going on in there.
0: Is there a co- that confidence that comes with the success you have last year? That confidence going into the year that hey, we've done this. We know what we're doing. Does he, do you sense that with this team, the returners especially, they, there's that confidence like we've done this, we know what we what we got to do. Whereas last year, maybe you thought you could do it, we think we could do it. Now you know you could do it.
4: Um yeah, last year no one had ever won um, regionals, um, so having that confidence now and it's like okay, we've already been there, and now let's repeat it and do better and get high, like like reach higher for our goals. So. Um, it definitely gives us a lot of confidence, and, like, the veterans are definitely going to help the newbies. You know, like, it's okay that the crowd's loud and they might be screaming their ch- chants, but, like, Night Nation's with us, and we have each other 1 25 and the whole coaching staff. So just having that behind that and, like, rallying behind that is going to be important for us to be successful. Yeah,
5: absolutely. I mean, confidence comes from, from preparation, from winning, and we've done both of those. So, I mean, last year... Like Jada said, we know what it looks like now, and it's kind of like validation of what we're doing here works, our culture works, our core values work. exuding those every day when it's easy and when it's hard and works, doing the right thing when no one's watching. Like, all those things work. Like, you can have fun and be your best self and still win at the same time. And it's just, like I said, it's just validating, and we just need to keep doing what we're doing and remember the things that got us there,
0: and, you know, we'll be in a good position if we keep doing that. Shannon Doherty, Jada Cody, thanks for uh, talking to me. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks again to Jada Cody and Shannon Doherty. Uh, the t- one two punch, maybe the best one two punch UCF softball's had offensively since really should host her best. I mean, that's one that's kind of synonymous. I think Doherty and uh, Cody is synonymous. Uh, the offense will be great. The biggest question that everybody has is the pitching staff. You lose Gianna Mancha, you lose Kamal Woodall. You re- you're, You have seven pitchers, which includes. Three returners and a transferred Sarah Willis and then three freshmen. They have combined for 166 innings pitched in Division one softball going into the season. That's the big question. And, you know, Cindy Ball Malone, which you could watch our interview ahead uh, with Coach Ball Malone on our Black and Go Banneret YouTube channel. That's going to be the question. Is it going to be more by committee? Does a couple of pitchers step up? You know, look, this is high expectations. This is my 16th year UCF softball by far the biggest expectations it's getting football type uh expectations in coverage which means what used to be a great season which is make the tournament some people are gonna be disappointed including internally so it's interesting the pitching is going to determine how good this team is this year if they're really good close to what they were last year they've got a chance to host the regionals and make you know make a deep run their goal is to okc if the pitching struggles if it's inconsistent and they're going to struggle. You know, it's going to be a fight to win the conference and make the regional. So I think that's the that's really all eyes are going to be on the pitching, and I think you're going to see a lot of arms early in the season.
1: Isn't that always the case though? Every year when we talk about yeah, balls. it's just
0: it's just weird at UCF, which has so much history with pitching. It's rare that they're this young pitching. Now look, they're talented. Caitlin Felton was the 63rd best ranked player out of, coming out of high school. Sarah Willis, the transfer from Washington, is a two way player. Is a top 10 recruit. Uh, it's talented, but it's young, and it's going to get tested with this schedule. So we'll see how long does it take them to kind of get their feet wet. You know, last year's staff, it took them a month, really, before they kind of hit their stride. So don't be surprised. UCF may have to win some high-scoring games early this season uh, to get uh, get through here early on. But, again, it's a it's a marathon, as they say, and they have the offense to do it. They've added a Jasmine Williams now, who's going to be at shortstop. They moved Michaela, Michaela Macario to the second base, which is her natural position. Uh, they've got two freshmen in Aubrey Evans and, and a Honda Lewis, who are top 30 players in the country coming out of this 25th ranked recruiting class. So, uh, And they only have one C, uh, player senior that has eligibility finished after this year at least Volpe. everybody else has eligibility after this year so this is the nucleus that's going to go right into the big 12 next year
1: so i was going to say so you're saying you know this this team is like they're set for they're about as set i think as any program in terms of getting ready for the big 12 right they've yeah they're they're as set as they're going to be so let me ask you this. <clears throat> you know, all the accolades that Jada who we heard about earlier has talked about, you know, obviously Shannon the walk off queen that we've come to know and love. Who's the player in your mind that and maybe you've already mentioned them that is going to be the breakout star for them that we're going to be saying, you know, hey Jada and Shannon they were all, shit they were great this year, but this player right here is could be the future of the program going forward into the Big 12.
0: Oh, that's a good question. You you hope it's one of the pitchers, whether it be Caitlin Felton. It could be Sarah Willis, who's a two-way player, has tremendous power with her bat. She's going to be a two-way player, old-school player. Uh, She could be that player as well if if she can just kind of put it all together. Aubrey Evans is a kid to watch. She has a lot of Natalie Land qualities uh, when I watch her play. The question is, where is she going to play on this this team this year? They might move her around the infield and in catching because they're so deep. Uh, but that's that's a freshman from this class, and I'm not. I mean, the next player might be in next year's class. Next year's class is ranked 16th best class in the country. Uh, no team on campus right now is recruiting like UCF softball and benefited from the Big 12. So uh, there's just a, a, there's a few others, but I would say those are the names. But I think the biggest thing is which pitchers step up. Is it Felton, the sophomore, a Willis who steps up of those young pitchers? You would like to have an established pitcher with confidence going into the Big 12, and obviously going into this year to win the conference. The good news is, every great pitcher in the American graduated this year, uh, this past year. So <laughs> this no, I'm, so like Georgina Cork at South Florida graduated, Wichita State graduated, their two best pitchers. Uh, so whoever's young pitching kind of steps up the quickest might win the American. If you're UCF, you're hoping it's the pitching. Uh, Sidney Balmalone calls it protect the queen. The pitchers are the queen. Everybody else's job is to protect them. We'll see how that goes.
1: I'm looking at the stats from last year. and UCF had a team as a team hit 295. It was 44th in the country. Pretty good. Uh, But they were 28th in the country in ERA at 2.30, like you were saying. But based on what you're telling me about the players in the lineup, Is it possible that if the pitching staff takes a while to get their feet underneath them, or if they maybe have their struggles throughout the year, that this team has the offense that could make up for that?
0: That's the that's the you hope that they they did last year. Uh, They think they can this year. Now that being said, remember last year you had the walk-off win against Georgia with Doherty, the walk-off win against Ole Miss with Doherty. That dramatic come from behind victory against Texas where you won 15 to 10. Can you still win those close games? Or does the ball bounce against you this year? That's one concern. Are we gonna so, get are we gonna see more of those 15 10 games, Eric? Just tell us. I hope not. I, hope not. I hope not. <laughs> those are four hour games. I mean, man, I mean, I gotta, I gotta get home at some point. Uh but we'll see. We'll see. Look, and the expectations are high. Uh, everybody's going to gun for them and they internally know that. In fact, they expect that they're going to critique themselves a little bit. If they don't, the good news is I can tell you being around them, there's a confidence of, we know we can do it last year. It's like, we think we could do it. We hope we can do it. Now it's like, we know we could do it. Now let's just do it. And so look, and they know they were 20 miles away, literally 20 miles away from Oklahoma city, their final destination. They ran into Oklahoma and, uh, from the world otherwise they would have been in the world series so but again that's a generational yeah. Oklahoma team let's be and fair. they're still that's unfortunately that. in the big 12 can we just get them out of here soon, guys Fox get the hell out of here you've ruined my life as it is with the NFL oh so that's why world. you're all like oh we need Oklahoma get yeah. it's, it's softball you just, want, you just want Oklahoma out of there correct so because, correct because I think there's two programs that can win the big 12 in the next couple of years women's soccer softball however with as long as Oklahoma is in the leagues UCF will not win the Big 12 Oklahoma is at a different level than everybody in the sport right now so I do think that's going to be a big game changer as far as the Big 12 moving forward how long is Oklahoma and Texas going to be one year two years it's a difference from an on the field standpoint but uh you know that we'll see how that goes but they they believe they can get to Oklahoma City that's the expectations I'm going to tell you this boys The expectations are now football-esque. It reminds me of football 2017, coming off the season. And, you know, remember 2018? They went Mm -hmm. undefeated. People were frustrated. Well, they're struggling this or this. I feel like softball now is in that level where people will critique every little thing, and I think they know that. It's a good problem to have because people care, all right? But it is the, the scrutiny now moves forward from this program.
1: I'm looking forward to this year in particular. Do you th- okay, so let me let me put this to you last le- two last questions. Wichita State finished one vote behind UCF in the conference standings. Uh, fair, or do you think somebody else could could surprise everybody?
0: No, it's fair. Wichita is no, it's fair. Wichita is just as good of an offense as UCF. They have Sidney McKinney. Addison Barnard who had a, is going to I think could get 30 30 homers and stolen bases this year. Kind of uh, ironic they also, play, UCF, they
1: also play in a wind tunnel.
0: They do. Uh <laughs> but it's you know, UCF and Wichita quietly has become a rivalry in softball. So it's ironic. It's probably it's going to end after this year. But that's going to possibly determine the conference championship. Now Houston has the best pitcher coming back with experience could but they need to upgrade their offense. Can they do it? Maybe they could surprise South Florida. Obviously loses Georgina Cork. That's a huge loss, but Ken Erickson knows what he's doing there. They come to UCF in April. Will that be the last time they play ever? I don't think so, but it will be as far as conference mates. So I think it's UCF or Wichita State that win the American, and it's going to come down to which of those two teams probably young pitching steps up the most.
1: 56 games on the schedule, Elo. Last question. Do you think they can – eat? and that's that does not include postseason – um, do you think they can eclipse last year's forty nine win mark?
0: Woo, that's a big ask. I don't think so. That's a, that is a uh, lot. UCF has I won fifty think,
1: games I, what once
0: before? Fifty once, yeah. Twenty fifteen, yeah. they went fifty. Uh, they went fifty and nine, uh, and that was with postseason. Forty nine wins with postseason. No, I don't think they'll get to forty nine uh, for the regular the season. I think too much young pitching. I expect some some kind of. They got to take a little while to get kind of comfortable and figure out who's who and their roles and things like that. You got to think maybe the ball doesn't bounce their way as much as it did last year. I think they're still going to have a successful season. I think they could still win the league and they can make the regionals. But some people might look at that as not as a disappointment. That's that's the standards now in softball. It's like football, Drew. We're, we're we've become the football level. We've reached not, it. I can't wait. Not, we're going to be on not the me. hot
1: seat. Not me. I'm a reasonable person. <laughs>
0: Well Eric we all know
3: that that you have a uh, a thing where the moment it starts to go off the rails it's over end the season
1: yeah uh, yeah eric er, eric's quick to jump out of the airplane on that sometimes he doesn't even pull out the parachute um
3: and screams leroy jenkins as yeah, he my, does. my it. listen my voice is the one that
0: could be the one that's gonna bail i got nine games i'm doing this weekend including your buck guys drew with whitney jones in town so yeah because uh, we'll you're doing
1: my- you're doing the uh you're doing the nine ucf games too at the black and gold classic too that's right?
0: correct i will be uh renting home this weekend there at the Collect. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, Ohio State, Whitney Jones, that's a big storyline. Her return, she was the hitting coach at UCF last year. Jen Saling, Olympian national champion, takes over as the hitting coach. Boise State, that's where Coach Ball Malone coached. Kind of funny, both baseball softball coaches facing their former teams this year. Sydney facing Boise for the first time since she left. And then, uh, obviously, the big one, Georgia, the rematch from last year, which was one of the games of the year. It's a marquee yeah. tournament. So, yeah, I will be there pretty much all weekend except for, like, early Saturday when I'm going to take a nap. Georgia
1: opening night Thursday, 6 p.m. at the UCF softball complex. UCF plays a double dip on Friday against UMass and Boise at 4 and 6.30. They finish up Saturday, 5 p.m. Ohio State all games at Hearing the UCF. Hearing sellouts, I heard a
0: couple sellouts this week, and I've heard I, them told. I hear,
1: so. I hear the Georgia folk will be showing up on Moss, and there's always plenty of Ohio State people that Drew likes to alert to. You're coming down, Drew?
3: I, I do not alert people about ohio state softball
0: sure you, <laughs> you better not you better not try.
3: i re- remember you know big 10 country and and you in the spring sports like baseball and softball are not a big thing up there uh you know they they've complained about when the, the season starts because it's usually pretty cold yeah yeah yeah. so right. that that's nothing now if it, if it was anything football related yeah you know they'd be talking <laughs>
1: So, uh, season
0: gets underway on Thursday, by the way. Eric, you'll be on ESPN Plus for all those games, that's right? All the UCF games will be on ESPN Plus. Myself and Francesca Nail and will be there Thursday night and Friday night for the uh, Boise State game and the Georgia games, uh, Georgia Thursday, Boise Friday. Uh, I'm working with Jessica Burrows, former FSU All-American pitcher, on Saturday for the Ohio nice. State game.
1: And don't forget, this week, before opening day on Thursday, opening night on Thursday, Bryson has the uh, everything you need to know about UCF softball preview coming in where you can hear an extended interview, as Eric mentioned before, with head coach Cindy Ball Malone. Plus well, a lot
0: of media day videos from media day yes. for softball.
1: So. a lot of content coming up for UCF softball as we get ready to prepare for them. And we will have baseball next week uh, as they get ready for their season as well, but be on the lookout for that preview. Everything you need to know about UCF softball coming on blackandgoldbanneret.com. at com.
0: Eric, save up the voice. Yeah, I'm gonna take the last segment off. I'll let Bryson uh, have fun with the yep. other activities going on. I know Drew's licking his chops for the big Will Healy hire. Bryson, uh, Drew and Nick Porcelli
1: will join us here in a little bit. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Back here on the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast, Jeff and Bryson with Drew and Nick Porcelli pops in to join us here as we wrap up the show uh, and uh, some football personnel news. Uh, Andrew uh, Will Healy is joining UCF's staff as an offensive analyst. Uh, if his name sounds familiar, it should. He's been at the head. He's been the head coach at Charlotte the last three years. He was fired in the middle of the season. Last year, prior to that, interestingly enough, he was uh, the head coach at Austin P the year that they came to UCF and played in 2017. Remember the Hurricanes or, or uh, the Hurricane actually scotched the Georgia Tech and the game, a scheduled game against Maine. Uh, and then UCF resumed their schedule midway through September playing at Maryland. While later on replacing the bye week that they initially had late in the season. UCF was able to schedule Austin P and UCF scored what is still a school record 73 points against the Governors in that game. However, Austin P made a good account of themselves that year. Let's not forget because A, they scored 33 against UCF and B, they probably should have made the FCS playoffs and just barely missed out that year too. Uh first time that they'd been in contention for that for a while, Drew. So uh, what is Coach Healy, who at the time, I, I think, is 30 years old, the youngest head coach in Division One, FCS or FBS, uh, when he took over at, uh, at Austin P? what is the outlook for him, and what does he bring to the table for Coach Malzahn?
3: Well, I mean, you're starting to see the, the, the beginnings of the Gels Malzahn Redemption School. I mean, we already know that that Nick Saban has one that's very well established for A-listers. Uh, this is a kind of like a lower level that you, you've seen it. Uh, you know, GJ Kinney gets a head coaching job. You know, uh, Darren. Hinshaw. Listen, I'll
1: take I'll take GJ Kinney over Bill O'Brien any day of the week. Yeah. Just for uh, the record, uh,
3: Darren Hinshaw, went got himself an offensive coordinator job, came back, and now is the offensive coordinator at UCF after a year as a as an analyst. Now you see Will Healy. Uh, you talk about that two thousand and seventeen Austin team squad. If it wasn't for the midseason change in their schedule that added UCF, they would have made the playoffs. That actually cost them it was good with that game. So we kind of owe them a, a little bit of a debt. And Healy uh, will will obviously you know use this as an opportunity to get back into a you know towards a head coaching job. A winning at Charlotte for a program that's. Barely off the ground. I mean, that's a that was a tough ask, and he was in a tough position. And you know, it's it's a very it's a it's it's a little fledgling program. So you're going to have some wins, and they started off really well, and then you're going to have some tough times. And that's what happened last year. The wheels kind of just fell off, and they they cut loose. But uh, Will Healy ha- has already shown that he has uh, a good resume. I'll bite short. He's only thirty eight. You know, he's younger than you and I. Uh, so, I mean, this is Yeah, look what we did world. for a living, too. huh? Yeah, Jeez. in the coaching world, he's a kid. And and he's got a whole career ahead of him. And he already has, you know, two Coach of the Year's awards un, under his belt. We know he's got talent. So, I mean, this is a temporary solution. I don't expect him to be here more than a year. And then he's going to get hired somewhere else. But at least for for this first season in, in the Big 12, Youssef gets the advantage of his expertise.
1: Yeah. All right. so I, I again another analyst now we saw like like you mentioned we saw what happened with Darren Hinshaw who was now now the thing is with an analyst is they can't so the rules and add, add to this to me for, uh, as well add to this for me as well drew that they can't directly coach the players correct right what are some of the other things about because you know, we see analysts all the time but like what do they actually do what they, they, they actually formulate game plans
3: yeah think of think of the team as an egg. They have to stay outside the shell. Um, they can interact with, with, with the coaching staff, and because his, his also role is special advisor to, to Gus Malzahn, so he's going to be you know you you've got you know Darren Hinshaw the events coordinator, he's going to be working with the players direct, and then you have a layer above that, so he can interact with coaching staff, but he can't interact with players. He can't recruit. Um, he's there specifically for, you know, analytical purposes and advisory purposes. Game
1: planning, scouting. I think that's one thing. It was a good piece that I was reading about. They can what scout. Analysts they, do, they can interact. Right. They can scout. And, and, you know, people were talking about the army of analysts that, for example, Nick Saban has at Alabama. And their job is specifically to pick out tendencies in the opponent's to help the players on the, you know, to help the players be as well-prepared as humanly possible. But they cannot, like you said, they cannot recruit. They cannot interact directly with the players. And Um, we've seen
3: seen instances where it has happened and schools have gotten in trouble for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, but Will Hilly going to be involved in that for uh, UCF. All right. Um, Bryson, let's talk a little uh, golf right now. And we are in the midst, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, we are in the midst of a possibly record-breaking performance for UCF
2: Women's Golf. Fill us in. So, Campbell Transfer, Anna Nordfor, she's a graduate student, so she went and made program history two days ago when she shot the first 64 in the first round of the UCF Challenge. First time ever in UCF Women's Golf history someone shot that. She followed that up by getting the first 63 in ucf women's golf history the very next day so already so already in this ucf challenge she's broken the lowest round in ucf women's golf history twice and she is currently now fighting for the individual lead in the third round of the ucf challenge at eagle creek golf club she cer- she currently sits at 16 under one over on the day she's actually one stroke back of Mississippi State's Julia Lopez Ramirez. But I've done the math, and if she's able to shoot even par on the day, she will finish with a score of 199, which will break the UCF women's golf's 54 hole record. So that's going to be something to watch as far as individually as a team. uh, She's supported by the number eight player in the country. But as far as golf stats rankings go, Tenrata Pitten, she currently sits in a tie for 15th at six under for the tournament. And as a team, UCF sits in fourth place at 24 under on the tournament right now. They're currently 10 strokes back of Mississippi State, which, when you factor in all all the, all the players, they count the scores of four players for these team rankings. So when you look at a 10-stroke margin and you have four different players on the course at once whose scores count, you could I you could conceivably make that up. So that's going on to, going to down at Eagle Creek Golf Club right now. And this kicks off their spring season, I think, with a bang.
1: Yeah. Men's golf, uh, meanwhile, they finished sixth at the Haight Collegiate in uh, Ponte Vedra, Sawgrass Country Club. Uh, Bryson, they were plus 10, uh, one stroke off the top five. Uh, What stood out to you from that one?
2: Luis Carrera. So the guy went competed in the Latin American Amateur recently and got the runner-up spot in that one. and now he And now he's gotten his third top 15th individual finish of the season at finishing one, finishing one under for the tournament. And now, I think UCF actually could have gotten a little bit of a better finish because they were as high as third at one point in the tournament. Unfortunately, Johnny Travale, after shooting a 72 and a 71 in his first two rounds, he shot a 77, a five over final round. That dropped him back to tie for 28th at four over on the tournament. This is this men's golf team. If if you remember from last season, barely made it into an NCAA regional because Johnny Travali was playing well, and then Teddy T-Tack just broke out out of nowhere to be to to support him in that regard and uh, that regard. So this is a team that Lu- Luis Carrera is showing promise, which is good. Somebody needs to step up to. To hold the Teddy T Tack left behind, but this is, but I think, but sometimes the golf course can be a little fickle and sometimes you can have a bad day. And Giant Travale just kind of had that bad day as a team. Um, I mean, Vanderbilt is the number two ranked team in the country, they won the tournament at 28 under par, and then North Florida finished second at 12 under par. This is their home course, so. It makes sense why they did as well as well as they did, but for a first tournament back, I would I would say okay, this is this is an okay this is an okay start, but I don't know if this is something that will get them to a regional yet. But we've still got a ways to go for that.
1: Women's tennis beat LSU four to three uh, at home, uh, recovering from a loss to. Auburn last Sunday Say so the week off they beat LSU what was the key for that one as they are now uh, three and one in the, in, uh,
2: in play in the spring I've said this before last season the biggest strength I think that UCF women's tennis has is it's de- is it's depth and what I mean by depth is that the sync sing- the is that the doubles play and singles play courts are divided into like one two three four five six think of them as like seed your best player takes the number one seed and then number two three four and so on in this matchup right here all four points from that UCF got in this matchup came from courts three, four, five, and six, the bottom four courts. And so the, the fact that they that their, their their top players ended up losing and losing the doubles point, by the way, they lost the doubles point as well. But the fact that they had their top two player players fall, um, Marie Mattel, that really took it to the number seven ranked player in the country but lost in two sets. And Stephanie Webb, by the way, made her UCF women's tennis debut against the number 32 ranked player in the country and, and, and she lost there. But to see Jay Tilberger, Noel Sayanova, Sofia Bioli, and Nandini Sharma all coming out to get their wins really shows that how key that depth is going to be as this season progresses, because they, they got, they pulled out the win four, three, it was a close thing, but that depth got, got that win for them. So this is going to be key for them as they keep going forward. I'm also interested to see what Stephanie Webb is able to do going forward. Now that she's made her UCF debut. Right.
1: Meanwhile, the men's team, they start a tough road stretch on Friday. They are at Illinois on Friday at Nebraska Sunday, and then uh, they are at Miami the following Friday. But two Big Ten teams on the slate here. Uh, but they've had some time off since uh, their last matchup against Tulsa last Sunday when they lost 4-1. Uh, to one. Uh, Right now they are 1-3 and three to start the season. But two Big Ten opponents
2: here, Bryson. This is going to be tough for them, isn't it? Oh, yes. This is This is a young group. I'm going to emphasize this over and over again. This is a very, very young group. And so this is as much a growing opportunity as it is, you know, com- competing. And of course, as we know, John Roddick always has a tough schedule laid out for for these teams. Uh, so don't forget to keep an eye on Bogdan Bavella and Leighton Cronhey as a doubles pair. They're the 28th ranked players in the country in, during that Tulsa matchup, so that'll be something to keep keep an eye out for. But I would just I, I would just say keep in mind that they're young and they're still growing, but you never know what's You never know what can happen Because this is a very talented group of youngsters that John Roddick has over there.
1: Nick, I want to get you in here to talk a little soccer. Uh, You were at the central Florida crusaders debut over the weekend. Uh, Of course, we know the indoor soccer team that plays at edition financial arena on campus. They have a men's and women's team. They play double headers, had their home debut. And uh, even though the women came up short against uh, the Memphis Americans, one UCF player, former UCF player, I should say, had a a very solid debut for them, didn't she?
6: Yeah, Yvonne Hayes. Well, first of all, she's officially in the history books because she scored the opening goal of the game, meaning she scored the first goal in franchise history. And she would later, you know, net another one later in the game. And, you know, it really was a, overall for the team, it wasn't They lost, but, like, it really was a back-and-forth game, and there's really no shame in losing to the Memphis Americans because they were last season's champion. And even in the press conference, their coach was very highly praising the team. Like, these two teams will face each other a couple more times, and both teams made it seem like, you know, at the end of the day, this season could come down to those two. So, you know, no shame in them for losing. But, again, Hayes, yeah, she had an amazing game. She's the captain for the reason. She was – the, I believe, yeah, she was the first uh, player signed by the team uh, as coach Tom Trexler noted in his post game, you know, they thought it was really important to uh, get people who had played for UCF to like try to build a foundation with the community and so by having her is really big and, you know, her play on the field that day really showed why not only was she big for the community, but she was big for, you know, on the field.
1: Got a good recap on blackandgoldbanneret.com as well of the women's game as well as the men's game. So overtime
6: and the men won, right? Yeah, that was that was so fun, man. Like, oh my God, I can't even describe it. Like, when you first go in, it's kind of like weird looking. Like, the crowd wasn't as big as you'd think. Like, when they were doing the national anthem, like, they didn't even use mics. You could just, like, hear them because they brought in, like, these little kids to sing it. You could hear them without the microphone. But the moment the game started, you would have thought, like, it was packed in there. Like, it was so fun. The men fell behind by like three goals at one point. They literally like come back. They score the tying goal with like less than two minutes left, thanks to a power play. And then like less than a minute in overtime, they get a they break away, fire one to the back of the net. And next thing you know, players are hopping over the boards celebrating. Some players are jumping into the crowd because they're like right on there. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: they're on you. The fans are on top of you in that place. Yeah, there were a couple up.
6: times like uh, like uh, someone got fouled near the boards. Like there was one I always remember. Like it was kind of like a fifty fifty. Like you didn't really know which one the ref was going to call. It went against uh, Central Florida, and like all these like fans who I, I think were like a support crew for an individual player. Like just mainly went up and like right in front of the referee. I'm just sitting up there like, oh god, this poor referee. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's it's-
1: I, I, you know, I, I think it's. A, I, it looked to me like it was a pretty fun environment. I was catching some of the game on YouTube. Uh, you know, what I really uh, appreciate too, and I think you saw that as well, the fan support for the former UCF players. Obviously, you mentioned Yvonne Hayes, formerly Yvonne George. Uh, you know, Bridget Callahan's out there. A couple other players who played at UCF, and we saw several alumni from UCF women's soccer out there. Uh, Uh, supporting them. I know Courtney Whitten, who is a a teammate uh, and a a player who I covered when I was on campus. So she was there in the crowd with her family supporting Yvonne and Bridget. And and that was a lot of fun. Now, and she mentioned something about a blue card. What's a blue card?
6: Uh, Yeah, I was wondering that too, but as you watch the game, you can understand it. So if you remember in our last podcast, I was talking about how their power plays. Yeah. If you get blue carded, that's a power play. Okay. So yeah, they do have yellow cards, so it's like that. But if you get a blue card, you're just sent off for like two minutes. So, so a, a
1: blue card is is a power play foul. A yellow card is like a technical foul. Yes, and and, and a red card is like you're just out. Go yeah.
6: On. And I gotta tell you, like so, like the prior two days, I was down in Sunrise for the NHL All Star game, so I was still kind of like in a hockey mode. And it's like i never left because there were so many moments where it was like i was literally watching (laughs) hockey like if you look at my twitter you'll see some of the examples like players are hopping over the boards and like you know i think some of like you know for non-soccer fans some of the bigger complaints about the sport is you know all the flopping or like the light fouls yeah that doesn't exist in indoor soccer like i swear (laughs) to god one person is literally getting like head checked into the boards it literally looked like a hockey hit oh boy Oh man. Yeah.
1: So this sounds like this sounds like a fun time as long as everyone's careful out there,
6: okay? I mean it's uh, it, oh yeah, it's not it's not like they're just like throwing each other, but it it is very it is very physical, it is very chaotic. Goodbye, Bryson. Both by the way,
2: I wanna by to say it. by the way, props to the Edition Arena staff because I you saw this on a tweet earlier and thank you for taking a picture of that, Nick, because yeah, the, sure. the staff had a twenty four hour window, less than twenty four hours, from the ECU women's basketball matchup. To the sent to the to the Crusaders, uh, the Crusaders opening match, and they made that switch like that. They were starting like even before, while I was in the media room talking to Coach Messer. So, well, props to props to the additional arena staff for making such a quick transition on that.
1: Yeah, that was good. That was fun. That uh, and you guys c- took some pretty cool photos of that. I thought that was
6: pretty neat. So next next game uh, at home, Nick. When are we going to see the Crusaders again? So they get a week off. Uh, they'll be back on the 18th, back at home, playing against the NISL's other new team, the Tampa Bay Strikers, who are, uh, oddly enough, coached by former NFL Pro Bowl kicker, Martin Gramatica.
1: Tampa Bay Buccaneers legend, Martin Gramatica. Yep. So, all right, cool. All right. So we'll be keeping an eye on that as we finish up. Uh, anything else? Drew, am I missing anything? I usually forget something.
3: Uh, not really. I we mean, a football yeah. game
6: Sunday. There is a football game. That's, I mean, that's, but
3: that's kind of like, eh. Yeah, you're a Browns yeah.
1: fan. You don't even know what the Super Bowl is. Um uh, yeah. You said the alumni have a chance to earn a ring, we you know. know it yeah, is. That's, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, it, it's just, it, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, an exoplanet for you guys. Like, you know yeah. what it is, but that's about it.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, you, you send, you send, you know, scouts and probes there, but you never don't actually experienced
1: it. Don't know what it's like there. You know, can't walk on the surface. Nick, are there any UCF Knights who uh,
6: have a chance to get some uh, jewelry this weekend? Jordan Franks and Matthew Wright. Both are on the Chiefs uh, practice squad. I am, I don't know about uh, Wright, but maybe Franks has a chance to get uh, elevated to the active roster. Like that does sometimes happen. Sometimes teams will elevate a. Practice squad player to the active roster for the Super Bowl, so maybe usually that grab.
1: happens if there's an injury, though. If there's like a late matchup, though, I think and right. If they win, yeah. Get a ring, yeah, but we'll it, get but they're on they the win. but yeah. they're on the
6: roster, so Matthew Wright could get a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, he could. Worked for Michael Greco. There's a Michael Greco. Right? Yeah, I believe it's a Sports Illustrated article. This is from a few years ago. It was actually from the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl when they were playing the Patriots. Uh, it's like a really interesting thing about what it's like to be a practice squad player uh on a super bowl team it's really interesting i recommend you guys go read it uh i'll try to find it and i'll send you the link because i think it's really good at showing the perspective of someone who's like you know working out with the team but doesn't actually get the opportunity to play
2: yeah that's cool good stuff Matthew are getting the super bowl ring i mean his life already is such a flex and so adding a super (laughs) bowl ring into the equation is like i mean come on man
1: (laughs) what'd you what'd you do while you were on leave from your engineering job oh i won a super bowl <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like hey. Uh, yeah. I, I, good luck to. Good luck to Matt. Good luck to uh, Jordan. Good luck to the Chiefs. And uh, no good luck to Philly. Sorry, I'm a Giants fan, and I and also I want UCF guys to get a ring. So
3: I'm, I'm torn on this. Uh, there are I'm two. Not. Uh, well, there are two <laughs> players that graduated from my dad's high school, the Kelsey brothers. Uh, so which one do I side with at that point?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Do
3: I do I root for Philly to spite Jeff, which is a lot of fun? Or do I root for KC for yo know, Matthew Wright and Jordan Frank?
6: Listen, 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 root for Cleveland. For, root for KC for our safety. If Philly wins, they're gonna destroy the world. Yeah. I mean
1: if you thought if you thought well, be, be if you thought when they beat Brady it was gonna be bad, wait 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 till what happens if they beat Mahomes. Oh god. All right. <laughs> uh we'll be following that next Sunday. Hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. Follow us as usual. UCF at underscore SBN. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo, Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner, uh, Drew is the stat Statboy Drew, and Nick is at Nick Porcelli and the number two, Nick Porcelli two on Twitter. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram, YouTube, where you can find our latest uh, interviews from UCF Softball Media Day. Don't forget to look out for Bryson's piece, Everything You Need to Know About UCF Softball coming up. Uh and uh what, what, what else? Mention YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it right there. So I think we're all set to go. All right, so got a lot to talk about for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show, and uh we will see you for softball opening week, opening night on Thursday, UCF against Georgia, elo on the call. That'll be fun to watch as well, as well, as well as all of our other content that we'll be having on black and for everyone here at Black and For Drew, Bryson, Eric, Nick, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow also Kyle, the SOTG for the students of the game on Twitter as well. For all of us here, Michael Banneret, have a great week. Go Knights, charge on.